Welcome in, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast at Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends. Wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content, you can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, the Longhorn Republic, where we do all of our post football game live streams. Uh, we'll have one this Saturday after the Kansas State game, which we'll be previewing later on in our show. My name is Gerald Gitter, I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who will fight Shaka Smart's hairdresser, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? There is no chance in the world that that thing can be shaved. I, I joked that the power of Samson and Shaka lie in the hair, and obviously, as we've said, um, the Hera, the Shaka Hera, is undefeated. 4-0, we'll get into that a little bit, but uh, love it, hate it, think it looks wonderful, think you know the sleekness of the bald was better. It doesn't matter. That hair ain't going anywhere, and Texas is never losing. As long as he's got hair, they'll never lose again. I think that's fair. I think that is there's a there's a one to one relation between Texas's first win in the Maui Invitational and Shaka Smart having hair. There's a one to one. Yeah, I mean, you're, it, let's not kid ourselves and say it didn't get a little hairy uh, there for a minute. I mean, it was a close shave. All right, I'll leave those at the door. But um, yeah, you're right. You have the reigning national Invitational Tournament champions as well as the reigning Maui Invitational in Asheville. The only ever all-time winner of the Maui Invitational in Asheville champion, Texas Longhorn. So you're talking about a team that doing things that no other team has ever done. That's going to be a pub trivia question in like 20 <laughs> years. But it was a little bit of a hair-raising experience to, to come nice. away with the win. But Texas, we already alluded to it, Uh for the first time in school history, they are the champions of the Maui Invitational. So we're going to talk men's basketball, women's basketball. Uh, we'll preview the Kansas State football game this Saturday. We'll quickly run through all the Longhorns of the NFL, and then we will let you know it's on our giant viewing screens in the Godzilla-Tron segment. But we have to start with the basketball team and the big win. So after cruising past Indiana, and there's no other way to say it, after cruising past Indiana, which is a pretty solid team, uh, Texas took a big lead over North Carolina. Uh, North Carolina, with the help of, you know, it's hard to play eight on five, Kyle. It's really hard to play eight on five when you're playing basketball. But with some help from, from some men in black and white, North Carolina uh, crawled back into this thing, but Texas edged them out 69 to 67 to close out the Maui Invitational at Asheville tournament with a win so we'll start with the indiana game because there's a lot to unpack there mm. texas was all over the place on defense they struggled on offense but still managed to get it done um that was that was an impressive win for what they did on the defensive side of the floor yeah i mean it, look i don't mean to have any hyperbole but the texas defense against indiana what you saw from that and again we talked about davidson on our, our earlier pod um to go from that where it looked like, you know, Texas just scrimped by a team that it was good, maybe maybe underrated, but, you know, just the, especially in the first half of that game looked like they could score when they wanted uh, against Texas. To go from that to 
I mean, literally night and day, some of the best defense I have ever seen from a Texas basketball team. And I don't mean to overstate that. I know Indiana had some young players. They had, um, you know, some, some, some troubleshooting from the outside. And anytime they came inside, just met a wall. But I mean, the active hands, the, the team defense, the, the help defense rotations, the, you know, uh, just always contesting and being in people's faces. Um, it, it, I don't mean to exaggerate when I say it was one of the best defensive performances I've seen in my time watching Texas basketball. They, they really look great. And I think when we look back on this particular win, I don't know if people are giving it the credit this Indiana win specifically that they they should be because they they didn't have a number next to their name. But if you look at the real number, the Ken Palm rankings, I mean they're they're the number seventeen team in the country. They're a really good team, and you saw it what they did against Stanford in the next game. They're a really 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 good team, and they took out some frustrations of not being able to get an open shot against Texas on that poor Stanford team. Um, there's there was plenty of college basketball national you know, thought leaders on the internet saying that the two best teams in this tournament may have been Indiana and Texas when we look back uh, at the end of the season. So, I mean, it, it was a very, very um, decisive and also, I think, impactful win. I don't know if I've seen a Shaka Smart team dominate a good team like this ever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, they've dominated, like, they dominated Rio Grande Valley, right? Like, they did what they were supposed to. But, like... Indiana is a blue blood. Indiana is, is one of those teams where they, they make a tournament run every year. And I don't I just don't know if I've seen a Shaka Smart team be that dominant on this big of a stage in a very long time. Like they'll win these and, and they'll, a lot of them will look more like the North Carolina game. But I like the the flat defensive dominance. The the I mean, it was swarming, it was kind of everything we wanted to see last year uh with Coach Yakulich, and I think the it maybe just took some time to, to ruminate and, and, and to, to set in. And I think you get, you know, your senior leaders, a guy like Matt Coleman, who who's really bought into the system and he's leading in such a way that these guys are, are, are responding to it. Like if Texas can play even two thirds as good defensively throughout the season as they did against Indiana, then I think we're going to we're going to feel really good about this season as we look back on it. Yeah, no, no doubt that, and, and I think that's a good point to bring up Coach Yaklich. His fingerprints were all over this game. This looked like the type of defense that we thought uh, Coach Yak was was going to install last year, and and it really did. I mean, just the the tendencies, the traits, the type of shots that they tried to force Indiana into. Um, this looked like all of that hard work paying off. So hey. I wish him luck as the head coach, but if, if his legacy is that he installed with this team, that's all coming back and really installed in his, his, you know, protege uh, coach, Kameka Hepa, the, the, the Longhorns fourth coach on the <laughs> sideline, which may be my favorite storyline of the season. He's incredible. I love that kid. Um, but you know, you see two things whenever Texas is on defense, you see Shaka smart down in a squat playing defense on the sideline, which I love. And you see coach Kameka Hepa. I'm kidding. Of course, he's not a coach um, officially, but, acting like an unofficial, you know, third coach there on the sideline, shouting orders, and the defense just feels like they are seeing things, reacting to things, you know, being ready, getting getting steals, getting getting blocks, um, pushing pushing the offense around, doing that 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 bully ball we talk about when you can force a a, a you know, pretty good offense into the shots, not that they want, but the shots that you want them to have. I thought um I thought, you know, that was the blueprint that they're gonna try to replicate throughout the season, of course. If you can get a Texas team that is that active on both sides of the floor, that's that active because the the Texas offense was at its best when they were attacking, when they were being mm-hmm. aggressive. And I think 
we talked about it in the preview. Like aggression is going to be one of the keys to this this season on both sides of the on both sides of the court, right? Whether it's defensively getting up in people's faces, not giving them room to breathe, having active hands, having your hands up, uh, keeping your keeping your feet in the right position. Which you know there are some games like the one we're going to talk about where it doesn't really matter where your feet are; they're just going to call fouls on you, and that's okay. But then again, using the athleticism and the athletic bigs you have on the offensive side. I mean, Texas had I think it was like thirty points in the paint yeah in that game which is just nuts like when you've got that size you need to attack when you've got that size you need to to really play at the rim and, and that's what texas did and i think that is going to continue to be a differentiator throughout the season well I, no I, I was just going to say the formula for that right the 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 athleticism the hustle the 22 fast break points the energy on defense a lot of that came it was a close game until the first longhorn substitution when they brought in kai jones and, and really brock Cunningham, right? Let's give him credit where it was. Royce Ham also in the first game played well. We'll talk about him certainly in the North Carolina game. But Brock Cunningham came in at a team high, 11 rebounds. He's not your big necessarily, but he plays like one. He just poked balls out, dove for balls, gave second chance points, you know, made the extra pass, hit shots when he needed them. You know, he hit, hit threes when he was open uh, to help the team. And just that energy seemed to fuel them on because you're right. When they're running on both ends of the court, that's when the guards with their good vision and inability to finish themselves become dangerous. Texas is bigs running with, with you know, when you have Sims and you have, you have uh, Kai Jones and you have Greg Brown and you have Liddell and you have these guys with just athleticism, the ability to run the court. I mean, that's, that's dangerous for any team, but it really opens up that Texas offense um, to an elite level. And I think we knew that, but we really saw that. But I, I, I agree completely that um, the energy, energy from that game is, is really if defensive energy and then offensive, just having that running, getting out from defense into offense energy because Texas only shot 28% from three in that first game. They had some turnovers, you know, going through, but it didn't matter. They pulled to pull led that game because they played defense and they, they ran and, and utilized their assets. And that, like I said, is the blueprint. Yeah. Offense leads to defense in that game. I mean, 22 fast break points on a, on a, in a game where you, um, yeah, we, we shoot from the floor. So moving on to North Carolina, the tighter of the two games, which maybe it shouldn't have been as tight as it was. And well, I'm not the guy to blame the officials, but it's fine. Texas kind of flipped the script a little bit and, and managed to play more aggressively on offense. And they, they hit more shots. I think they're at what 40% from, uh, from three point range. And, and, you know, Shaka Smart said before the season that this this is going this team is going to go as far as Matt Coleman takes them. Mm-hmm. And so Matt Coleman being the senior leader, Matt Coleman being the man um, decided to put the team on his back and he's probably going to have a, a sore lumbar tomorrow. <laughs> but um, he dropped 22, including a game winner to uh, you know beat the buzzer. I think and I put it out on Twitter. I think he probably timed it to bounce the way it did to, to kill <laughs> some more time. But he left him a point one second on the clock, which is even if you're Derek Fisher, you can't score that quickly. So uh, Texas came away with a big win over over a team with a number next to its name and a team that has a lot. This is a resume builder and, and a, a good sign of things to come. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you said it, Texas shooting over 40% from, from three is, is fantastic, right? Over 35% is what we call winning territory. When Texas can do that historically, the past, you know, really the Shaka era, that leads to success that usually translate to, to at least being competitive, if not winning. I think the biggest, the single biggest factor when you look back and you take the emotion out of it in this game was even though Texas didn't get to the line um, a lot, and again, I hate to say it, but you look at the facts, 32 attempts for North Carolina, 
14 for Texas. And, and I think even though Texas shot well from deep, they still attacked. And there were so multiple times I was like, oh, we're not going to call that, but we called it on the other end. But anyways, they, they shot 10 for 14 from the line, and North Carolina was 18 for 32. That 56% has felt like what a lot of Texas has, has shot you know, in years past and, and ended up costing them. And if I'm a North Carolina podcaster fan looking at this game in review, uh, I'm basically saying, uh, if we hit more free throws, we probably, you know, steal that game. And that's how Texas fell in years past. So Texas being able to execute when they did get to the line, I think was, was a huge, um, factor, but look, Texas led by as much as 16. I think at halftime, it was still double digit 12 or something point lead. And, and, you know, they came out a little bit of sleep and, and North Carolina closed the gap very quickly. But I mean, there was a ridiculous screen call to end uh, on on Kai Jones to end the first half that led into like five quick fouls uh, in the first minute and a half, two minutes it felt like against Texas uh, in the second half. And that really was where you saw kind of the disparity in free throws, the disparity in, in fouls called again, 25 to 14 uh, against the Longhorns where the gap shifted. But there's going to be games like that where your style of play, again, we talked about Texas being quick hands, fast, athletic, physical um that you know refs choose to call that again i think north carolina has a team full of bigs and and not just bigs but big thick tree trunk bigs like big bodies i think west virginia and north carolina will be the only two teams that give texas that will be able to attempt to bully texas and they did look i mean North Carolina's single most effective offensive play was missing a shot and then getting a rebound down below for an easy putback and usually an easy putback where if our guy was too close to him, they'd call a foul. So a three-point opportunity. Um, They didn't shoot well from three at all. They only took nine, but they only made one. So their three-point play was throw it, you know, off the rim to your big man, the Kobe assist, and then let him get three the hard way by by grabbing it, going up, and putting one of our bigs in foul trouble. Again, very frustrated by the officiating. Truly one of the most egregious halves of basketball I saw was the second half in in the way that was called. It just felt – I mean, when even Bill Walton, who literally was is up on the clouds playing with Lucy in the sky um, – is 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 calling out and he doesn't usually talk about basketball but taking the time and taking time out of literary <laughs> analysis and and film review and things to talk about the officiating being Hiking. bad you know yeah <laughs> you know it's bad and and he certainly did and i think he was right to do so um but again look in adversity when those things don't go your way and shaka was mad the players were getting frustrated what did they do? They they manned up, and even though their lead disappeared and they were on the back foot, really, for most of this game, it felt like North Carolina had in the second half and, and at least the last eight minutes of it had the momentum, had the advantage. They, they put Texas on the ropes, and Texas responded, and that's character, and that's heart. And I think more than anything that you take away from this, certainly how you play those bigs and, and mitigating that offensive rebounding advantage that they ended up having, that's one thing technically. But I think the bigger takeaway that you honestly will take from that is just the heart that you saw, the growth, the fact that you saw these seniors who've played a lot of close ones during Shaka's tenure, like Tom Herman in the football. The Texas sports just like to keep it close. And uh, to be able to, to muscle that out and, and ultimately – um, you know, rise to the occasion and win it uh, in a close fashion. I think I think we'll come back and pay some dividends later in the season. I've said it a couple of times on this podcast already, but I think this is this is the first time where I really felt like a Shaka Smart team was was able to really battle and stay in there. Like I feel like this in in years past, this is a this is a game where they blow that big lead and then it's like, oh, we're gonna lose by fifteen. Like that's that's what the situation happens, and so I think Shaka has finally 
I think, and again, we're not going to dump on the guy, but like, I think Shocker's done the thing that Tom Herman hasn't quite figured out yet is to how do you win like Texas, where you beat the teams you're way better than, like you're way better than them, and then you you edge out the teams that are of equal talent, right? And I think that's what Texas did in this tournament. I think they they blasted Indiana because Texas is way better than them, I think, in a lot of ways, and, and they managed to eke out a tight win over over a uh, North Carolina team that's close. And the thing for me with this is that I don't even think Texas is playing as well as they can. Right. There's still a lot. Like, we talked about it early in the season with the football team before the wheels fell off and all that sucked. But, like, you love the wins where there's a lot of coaching left to do. You love the wins where Greg Brown gets, in, gets some touchy fouls and only plays – like a third of the game, right? Yeah. Where he only he's only on the floor for limited time. So I think that to me signals a team that's still got a lot in the tank mm-hmm. and a team that looks good with a lot left in the tank. We've spent a lot of years, at least what, four years now, of Shaka Smart saying, you know, there's a lot left in the tank, but I don't know if they can get to it. And now it's like the floor is so high. Yeah. The floor is beating North Carolina. The floor is dropping a 22-point lead on Indiana. And so if Texas can build on that floor, the ceiling is really, really high. And that's the thing that I want to walk away from this tournament talking about is like, I think we're just seeing the floor of how good this Texas team can be. Now, that's not to say that they don't go into the basement at some point because we've seen that from Shaka Smart teams. But this doesn't feel like that, at least, again, four games in with how they've played. Yeah, you know, yeah, like that's a great point. What Roy Williams, North Carolina coach, will tell you, what Nick Saban will tell you, what Bill Self at Kansas will tell you, you know, would any any good coach at an elite program historically is built, you know, a contender repeatedly will say is you got to win ugly sometimes, right? We, we talk about that with our football team, talk about it with our basketball team in the shock air. Sometimes you have to win ugly. And I'm not saying this is completely ugly, but you're right. When you feel like it wasn't your 100%, your A game, when you win with your B stuff, you know, when, when, when your heater's not there and you can still do it, then that's the sign of a good team. And I think that's what you get from this. Look, you know, uh, Matt Coleman had a fantastic game, 22 points to, you know, top even his 16 from from the indiana game um including the the game winning step back buzzer beating elbow drop i love that chris paul meets james harden step back at the elbow he did it twice and it just looked amazing um but i mean he he and and, and ramey really handled the ball well they had a six to two assist to turn turnover ratio not turning the ball over against a good team is great even if everything else isn't working don't give them free plays right um and i think one of their turnovers was literally dribbled off an opponent's foot should have been a kickball and it took it the other way for an easy layup for North Carolina. But again, neither here nor there on the refereeing. But Coleman shot well from deep. Ramey didn't play particularly well from the floor. He was uh, only 29% shooting, but he hit what he needed to from deep, made up for it, and then some on the defensive end with three steals, three rebounds, and at least two possessions stolen by perfect last-second rotations that North Carolina would have scored on otherwise. Again, a one-score game, that stuff matters. Um but then you have guys like Royce Ham. Royce Ham was not anyone's number one. I kind of liked him early in our lineup. I think I had him as our, our seventh uh, or eighth man, um, so third man off the bench. Um, but you know, Royce Ham came in and and played a lot of minutes. He was probably our most effective big um, in this game. Here, Kai Jones were our most effective bigs in this game. Um, you know, he he just five rebounds, four blocks. I'm going to go ahead and give it to him fifth block because it was a bogus 
you know, foul call on one of his, should have at least been a jump ball, but five fouls, the way they were calling it. But he came in and gave energy, his putback slam, which again, we've coined it here, folks. Please feel free to use it everywhere. Tell your friends, tweet it. You know, when Royce Ham has a putback dump, that's called a ham slam, which that's, you know, you heard it here first and probably only here because no one else is that dumb. But, you know, Royce Ham played well. And then the other ham, Mr. Austin, local ham, Brock Cunningham, uh, fourth and minutes on the team. Guy couldn't get off the court, did everything, hustle, heart. He's the shock t- team player. He's the glue guy. They subbed him in for Andrew Jones at the end on a defensive possession when they needed it. Just that much heart, that much hustle um, is the guy who kind of brings all these units with athletes and shooters and things together. Um, I just feel like even though Andrew Jones had a rough one, one for seven with five turnovers, um, you had other guys stepping up. And you know Andrew Jones is going to have 20-point nights this season. So, you know, as everyone else gets better, hey, having a, a, a Royce Ham and a, and a and a Brock Cunningham and and you know Sims only played thirteen minutes. He played fourteen against uh, Indiana, but at least was effective. Greg Brown only played nineteen minutes, still got to ten points. Again, tough officiating for the freshmen, um, but they're doing it right. They are doing in spite of winning, in spite of. When I say these things that aren't good, then you're still talking about a W. That's the sign of a Texas progress and overall program's progress. Texas basketball utilizing all of the talent, and this is without returning maybe their best shooter or most consistent shooter in Jace Febres, who isn't playing. This is without the potential of Will Baker being in that rotation like we talked about. And they are still, you know, we're still talking about, oh, they're only 80% of this mountaintop, this peak where they can be. So that has me excited. You can hear it in my voice. I'm not going to lie. We're excited about Texas hoops right now. And and boy, are we going to find out real quick uh, how good they actually are. Yeah, so the next 10 days for... Texas get better in some ways and get worse in some ways. So we don't have, we likely won't have Bill Walton on the call. Everybody's excited about that. But, <laughs> but Texas gets rewarded for its ninth win out of 10 over North Carolina by taking on number three Villanova on Sunday. They get a little break with Texas State and then they take on the following Sunday, the number two. Baylor Bears. So that's a that's a murderer's row, if you will, for Texas uh, coming out of a solid slugfest against the Tar Heels. Yeah, I, look, um, Villanova is number three right now in Ken Palm's rankings, and, and Baylor's number two. Gonzaga lost. I haven't heard it's happening while we're recording this Wednesday night. Went out against West Virginia, their best player, potential number one pick in, in next year's draft, Jalen Suggs. So they're certainly going to take a hit. You might just slide these teams up, and it might be that Baylor's number one, Villanova's number two, and Texas right now, number four, would slide up to number three. Again, I'm not, I'm just anticipating here a little bit, but you're talking about some of the best basketball teams playing some of the best basketball in the country in a 10 day span. And if Texas splits that series, you feel really, really good about it. If they somehow win both. And again, there's a Texas state game in the middle. I'm not discounting that they need to win that one, but the two marquee games, if the Sunday games, if they win both of those boy, Oh man, we're talking about, a potential if you, it wasn't that long ago texas once held the number one rating uh for about a couple weeks in the in the country i think that was 09 um and and you're talking about a team with with that much expectation right if they can if they could somehow win both of those in the next 10 days against those two uh behemoth programs in general but elite elite programs so far um this season with so much talent and baylor is just i hate to admit it so stinking good um still hate them uh, without a doubt, and I hate their coach, and I hate their colors, and I hate their arena, and I just hate Baylor basketball All, I, at this point as much as as Baylor football, if not more. But uh, yeah, it, it, 
if they can beat Baylor and at least look good against Villanova, then I'm feeling really, really good against uh, this this um, barely top 25 team that is we're talking about beating top five, top 10, top 15 teams early in the season. Um, you got to feel good. You got to feel good. You do. Speaking of feeling good, we're not going to talk too much about it uh, currently because the game is still going on at the time of recording. But the Texas women's basketball team uh, kind of going absolutely on, absolutely kind of going on. Um, <laughs> they're on the verge of palindroming Louisiana Tech. Uh, they're up eighty to forty-eight, and they're on their way to eighty. If they end this game eighty-four to forty-eight, I would love to see a good. Pal- I haven't seen a good palindroming in quite some time. But uh, eighty-four to f- eighty to forty-eight at the time of recording, Charlie Collier uh, has what twenty-two points uh, eight rebounds she's a couple of shy of her uh, normal double double Audrey Warren uh, is playing chipping in with her 19 points uh, shooting I think eight of 19 from the floor and Celeste Taylor has chipped in 14 as well so Texas women on their way to another win moving up to uh, 3-0 on the season heading into their big game mm-hmm. on Sunday against Texas A&M yeah, huge week on uh, for both men's and women's basketball team coming up. They'll they'll we'll learn a lot about how good both of these teams are. Again, we have a good idea uh, for the men's program, but that will be a big test for the women's program and Vic Schaefer. But really, I would I would assume when the next set of rankings come out for both of these teams, um, that we see numbers getting smaller and smaller next to both of these. Currently, both ranked, um, but but those numbers might for both teams get cut about in half uh, after this week. In an unthinkable moment, the Texas football team somehow got demoted to the B block, Kyle, <laughs> where we opened the podcast and we went to a commercial before we're talking about the football game on Saturday. Don't know when the last time that happened was. I don't think it's ever happened. But the Texas Longhorns head to Manhattan to take on the Kansas State Wildcats. First off, before we jump into this, I guarantee you I'm going to say the Kansas State Jayhawks at least once in this preview because <laughs> it's just what I do. I type it out when I'm typing it. It's ridiculous. But uh, Kansas State coming off a four-game losing streak. Uh, West Virginia, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, and Baylor on a last-second field goal. Um, Kansas State not very good, but Texas Plates are wobbling for Texas as well. We've seen two senior captains opt out left tackle Sam Cosme and safety Caden Stearns both deciding to end not only their season but their Longhorn careers and prepare for the NFL draft. Uh, We've also seen Texas having some COVID issues this week with starters, multiple starters having to take time off due to COVID precautions. So uh, plates are spinning in Austin and they've got to travel to Manhattan, a place where it's not very easy to win regardless of the quality of team you're facing to take on the Wildcats. So Kyle, we are a couple days out from the game, man. This one feels like to me a game that's going to stress me out. Uh, I hope you're wrong, Gerald. Anyone who is not brand new, and if you are, hey, thanks, welcome. Uh, Thank you for joining us. But anyone who's been here for any period of time knows that my irrational hatred for Kansas State it's not irrational. is, Is unrivaled. I hate them as much as any team not named OU or A&M. And I might at this point hate them more than A&M because I have to see them more. I mean, the general shades between purple, crimson, and maroon, just outlaw them. I mean, I know they're good fall colors. I look great in, in maroon. I get it. Uh, but just get them out of the spectrum. Like, take them out of the crayon box. They suck. TCU, purple, get it all out of here. I hate them. There was a year when Texas baseball, you know, w- was good and their only losses were to a, a winless 
Kansas State baseball team. This team finds a way to be a thorn in your stinking side, and I am so ready. Kick them out of the Big 12. Get rid of them. Send them to the Mountain West. I don't know. I'm so tired of Kansas State. I hate them. Um, so that tells me that just because of that and and the drop-off and anticipation by losing to Iowa State, um, this could be ugly. But you know what, Gerald? I would actually feel much worse about it if we had beaten Iowa State and all we had to do was beat two very bad teams from the state of Kansas to get to the Big 12 championship. I would be so nervous. I would literally not sleep the night before this game because I would be so sure that Kansas State would try to to poop in our punch bowl, be the fly in our ointment, try to top shelf us, you know, upper deck us. I, I, just, um, I just feel like various defecation analogies aside that Kansas State, they're two biggest games of the year and they don't have to worry about one because it's against Kansas football and that's not even really a game at this point so their biggest game of the year is beating Texas this is their Super Bowl they love beating OU they've done that a couple years but this beating Texas they love it they have shirts that say they own us whatever this is their this is the 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 peak of their sad existence and I don't care how bad this team is it's always a dangerous one an entire tire fire of a season for Kansas State they will hang their hat on. If they could beat OU mm-hmm. in Texas in the same mm-hmm. year, that's mm-hmm. a success. They are a coach is getting a contract extension because of a year where you beat OU and Texas if you're Kansas State. And so the the season really turned for Kansas State when Skyler Thompson got hurt. When when Will Howard took over for Skyler Thompson, things seemed to turn on a dime. Uh, they had some COVID and injury issues throughout as well. But, you know, Howard has not been consistent for Kansas State 70 74 for 141 so just above 50 percent thousand and four yards six touchdowns eight interceptions he does however also have nearly 300 yards on the ground and three touchdowns so he's a little bit of a dual threat for them his favorite target running back Deuce Vaughn uh, who's a dual threat running back uh, 517 yards five scores on the ground also is the team's leader in receiving with 289 yards and two touchdowns so Texas's game this year has been taking away what a team likes to do and so Texas cinched up Brees Hall and I think the game plan is going to be Deuce Vaughn's very different player Deuce mm-hmm. Vaughn very different type of back but they have to be keying on Deuce Vaughn and try to make Will Howard beat you, right? Yeah, it was very um, generous of you to call Will uh, Howard a dual threat. He's a single threat. He can run the ball. That dude cannot pass a football. He is dual like, threat I always, in the classic sense, Kyle. <laughs> I, I guess like he he makes Colin Klein look like a you know a uh, a Drew Bledsoe drop back in the in the pocket and throw it every time quarterback. He Will Howard is is maybe the worst throwing quarterback I have ever seen in the Big Twelve, and that's to all the bad ones who've been through there. Congratulations. I think Will Howard is worse than you. He's awful he's completed 50 percent of his passes this season but he's missed at least 30 passes to just wide open receivers like I worry sometimes if they tried to do a toss play with him that he wouldn't be able to accurately do that because it's too much like connecting on a pass he's very very bad but he's he's athletic he's a good um a good runner and and, and paired with Deuce Vaughn who Deuce Vaughn scares me I'm not gonna lie he's that type of jitterbug shifty running back who didn't necessarily get recruited by Texas. He was a phenom in high school, even though um, he's not big. Uh, he's he's just 
electric um at cedar ridge shout out to to uh coach zychek there um in the the fighting cedar ridges i can't remember their mascot uh, but uh you know his 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 dad former coach at texas so you know you got that chip on your shoulder to to have a little um coming out game but i do think you know, Texas knows that they have to stop Deuce Vaughn. You have to, you, you basically spy the running back, um, you know, at this point and, and just don't let him shake you out of your shoes and you do all right. And it did seem like the combination of losing Skylar Thompson and teams figuring out a little bit how to cage up uh, Vaughn and keep him out of, you know, the plays they like to do to get him in space. I think those two things in combinations really just saw their, their offense nosedive to this point in the season, but that will be the big one. I think that will be, um, as far as their offense goes, will be how how much Deuce Vaughn, who again is the exact type of running back who's hurt Texas in the past, can can unleash and 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 get going and and can be the Puka Williams type like we saw from Kansas last year. You say he's he's not a threat, Will Howard, but I, let me take you back, Taysom Hill. Mm. Still, he's such a nice person, and I think he's one of the worst people that's ever existed because of what he did to Texas in back to back years. So again, I. Kansas State quarterbacks have done it to Texas in the past. Ron Prince did it with Josh Freeman, who was he got some help from a from another wide receiver who went on to have a pretty prolific NFL career, but that's neither here nor there. But like I I still can't put it past them. And and you know, losing a senior leader like Caden Stearns, he'd struggled with his play on the field, uh, but he's a guy who can inspire. He's a guy who can really be a presence. And so I'm just I just have so many misgivings about this game with with the Texas because again it's that game where everybody's like the Texas defense should be way better than the than the Kansas State offense the Texas offense should be way better than the Kansas State defense and it just feels like it's setting itself up to be embarrassing I'm ready to be cold takes exposed when Will Howard pulls a Max Duggan and, and various other quarterbacks Carter Stanley from last year any quarterback Texas faced last year basically and has his career best game and goes you know 21 for for 31 for 328 yards, four touchdowns, like just stupid, ridiculous numbers and rushes for another hundred. I'm, I'm ready for that to happen because I don't expect nice things for Texas football, but barring that type of, of miracle, um, I really, I don't think, I think this team would kill for Josh Freeman. I think this team would kill for Colin Klein. I think this team would kill for, you know, Carter Stanley. I think this team would kill for Max Duggan on his worst day, right? Like this, they are, they are, they are lacking, I think in a lot of areas. Like, of course they have a good tight end because it's, it's Kansas state who's um, has 21 catches for three twenty six and three touchdowns and Bailey Moore. Um, And we saw last week that Texas inexplicably, um, I will say has a way of losing big giant white tight ends who, um, who, who aren't that fast and should be pretty easy to track, but, but they didn't do that against Iowa state, um, particularly well. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I do think that Caden Stern is not being there. Um, I think Jalen Green being listed as doubtful. Basically, you're, you're putting, you know, two two new starters in the secondary, and, and really those guys will be expected to come up and run support. I think talked about it last game, what Adam Moore could do was one of the matchups to watch against the um, Brees Hall running attack. I think similarly what, what you're going to get from linebacker and spur and even from safeties coming up with, with if it's Foster and Brown, like we think it's going to be um, coming up and helping you know again you you don't want to let Deuce Vaughn shake a tackle or two you don't want a Texas Tech defensive display um where you know you're you're letting a guy get past the first tackle because because he can hurt you like it 
don't hear me wrong and say he's not a threat. If he is able to shake that first tackler, like he could get going and sca- and just sc- scatter for 50 yards at a time real easily. He did that against OU early in the season. You know, so I don't mean to say that they don't have any threat, but I, I do think that the team will hopefully be unified in the ability to shut him down, to keep their quarterback from getting out of the pocket and running, um, and, and really just probably play some conservative-based defenses and try to make sound tackling. And if they do that, they should be fine. The, I think the defense will be okay, honestly. Yeah. I'm really concerned about the offense sure. and the offensive line specifically. Sure. We mentioned it already. Sam Cosme has opted out. We don't know who's going to be his replacement at left tackle because as the depth chart came out, Christian Jones listed at both left and right tackle. So we don't <laughs> know where that's going to end up because I'm going to let you in on a little bit of secret. Um, he struggles playing one tackle position, so I don't know how he's going to fill in playing both. So it's either going to be a Christian Jones and Reese Moore situation where Jones is at left and Moore is at right, or Andre Carrick shows us enough this week where he plays left and Christian Jones stays on the right side. My preference would be to get to see more Andre Carrick because I think he's the wave of the future. That's just my opinion. Let's hear from you. Uh, I think that that, for me, is the, is the matchup because – you know, of, of all the things that Kansas State struggles with, they don't struggle getting to the quarterback. They don't struggle getting in the backfield. They're fourth in the conference in tackles for loss, second in sacks. So, like, that to me is the one big red flag of, like, where things can go sideways because, don't know if you've been paying attention, but the offense has been the issue for Texas in recent memory. Yeah, absolutely. And look, if you talk about the best player on Kansas State's team, we talked about Deuce Vaughn having, you know, a lot of flash in the pan, but I think um, the probably best player on their team is Wyatt Hubert, who lines up, um, you know, usually, usually at that right defensive end to take on your your left tackle. Um, they move him around a bit, but he's basically what, you know, the the most ardent fanboys hoped that Brecken Hager could be. Um, he, he is that long-haired, wild, and just... Um, loves to penetrate and get in the backfield and play in a, in a team's backfield. So yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. That is, uh, that is the thing that worries me the most. Um, again, you could say this literally every week, but I think Texas should be able to out talent around that. Okay. He might get a couple sacks. They might have some pressures. They might blow some runs up, but you should be able to take on their safeties and their, their, their secondary with your receivers and with your running backs and, and be able to do some should is the key word here. But again, we have not seen Texas offense really thrive and operate consistently sustained. And when they needed to at an A level or even a B plus level. Um, so, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and, and, and guarantee anything. Uh, hey, we talked about their offense not being great. I would love our defense to help us out, get some turnovers, uh, maybe even score some points, help our offense. But look, look, we could also be wrong, right? They, Sam Ellinger, when asked if he was going to opt out, said, no, I love this team too much. I'm finishing out uh, my senior year. And I think Sam Ellinger, his will to win, his ability to do it with his arms and his leg, even if you know he has accuracy issues in various games at various points, I'm never going to bet against a Sam Ellinger, I have two games left and I have a big old monster sized chip on my shoulder and something to prove that he can go out and do something. Right. And, and it could be a game where he only throws for 250, 225, but he runs for 130 because he's just bulldozing folks because he's mad and he's angry. And, you know, when you put a bulldog in front of Bevo or Sam, they might just run him over. And so, and in fact, Sam's first. GIF highlight, if you remember from his freshman year, when he absolutely truck sticked a human being. Gerald, do you know what team that was against? Kansas State. That absolutely was. Still love that so much because of my aforementioned hatred for K-State. Um, so I'd love a couple more of those. Like, you got two more games in you, you know, you're feeling a little better after three weeks off. Just go run some dudes 
over Sam. I think um, we are going to see a, a game where he's probably going to have to do some things and uh, extend some plays because of the the, the line not being great. We're going to have to, you know, if that outside zone works, great. Let, let, I liked it when we ran it behind Sam Cosme, but you know, get outside a little bit, give give Bijan some space and, and and a chance to either cut back or get downhill, and let's you know spread that that team out a little bit with our speed. I think some short, quick passes to to mitigate any line issues and pressure, get the ball in the hands of the receivers and let them work. Let's use Jordan Whittington this game. You know, that's a guy who every time he touches the ball, if he's healthy, and, and I think from everything I'm hearing, he is. He can out. He's a guy who I've seen this year do it. He can out-athlete when he's the better athlete on the field, and he likes doing that. Get him the ball short and let him just go put his head down and drive people back 12 yards. Like that. That's the type of game that I'm thinking that our offense can have and, and we really probably should focus on. Yeah, and, and again, I think we've said it all year. For me, it still comes down to the offensive line. Like it, it's, it's No matter how determined Sam Ellinger is, it comes down to how well they can protect him or how well they can mm-hmm. keep him from getting inside his own head, mm-hmm. right? I think if you can't create space for Roshan or Bijan to get something going, well, Roshan's got to stick his nose in it and get three yards, but, like, Bijan needs a little bit of room to get to full speed. So I, I really, like, I don't question Sam Ellinger's toughness and his will, will to win. I question the other ten guys. Mm-hmm. And and I, there are things about Sam that we've we've I think been rightfully critical. Some of his decisions, him holding on to the ball too long, like those are things that I think we can talk about. But I really think for Texas, like Sam Ellinger is going to be um, who Sam Ellinger is. Is it the other ten guys can? Bijan and and Roshan make up for the fact that Keontae Ingram probably not going to be playing. It's an or 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 fest on the the depth chart, but he's the third or, not the first or, like he has been all year. So like it's just there's there's there are just more questions and answers for me still with this offense. Yeah, and I, I think this would be a good type of game. If you remember the Baylor game when they just really tried to establish the run in the first half, I would like to see Texas come out. And this is a game where I talked about Whittington out athleting. I'd like to see Bijan, even if he doesn't have the best blocking to spring him, get him, you know, get him lots of carries, different looks, different types of runs, get him some swing passes in space, get him the ball, let him work a little bit here. This is the game where I think he's got the athleticism to make a difference with the Kansas State players. Again, well coached, but certainly just have never played against an athlete the caliber of Bijan Robinson. So I think, you know, they give up over four yards in attempt. Let's let Roshan go and just, you know, ram and push and drive and, and one cut uh, a defense that, that has been a bit susceptible to it. Um, and, and, and again, let's get those running backs and get our slot receivers really involved. And hey, look, we talked about it and we praised it, so why stop it? Brendan Eagles looked fantastic. He was our my favorite part of our offense in last week's game. Let's see. Keep feeding him. Let let Eagles go one-on-one against the corner if they want to put him one-on-one. I, I, I like what I saw last week, and I, of course, love, again, going back to it, the utterly superior athleticism that he has over any defender on the Kansas State secondary. Like, I think there is a chance to win individual matchups. And again, like you said, the key is that running, passing, whatever you do on offense, the offensive line is a component of it. Unless we come out and run the swinging gate, uh, the offensive line and what they can do will factor, you know, and and they can bring a really well-schemed, effective offensive, you know, script down really quickly. So let's see adjustments, too, because Iowa State, if they did anything last week where they absolutely, without it out, beat Texas, they, they out adjusted they looked at what texas did took a punch and adjusted to it better than texas could counter adjust and we know chris chris Kleiman is a very good coach and so texas needs to be the better coach team um and you know 
some fans will, will have thoughts about uh, that, of course. Um, but, uh, you know, for every coach on the team, every game, you know, that's, that's, that's left in this season is a chance to prove something. So um, Andre Coleman coming from Kansas state, let's have your receivers go out and, and, and win every single play one-on-one and, and, you know, no matter what happens in this off season, maybe have a chance to, to, to raise your hand and say, I should be the receivers coach next year. Yursich, you know, let's finally see it. Let's see something cohesive and scripted and, and, and Herb Hand. You, you turn this offensive line, you're, you're able to shoestring with what's going on into a, a, a really effective running game and a, and a clean pocket. You just make a lot of deficiencies look a little bit better on this season. So, Kyle, this is the time where we normally do Potsdamus predictions. Mm. But if you go back and listen to our Tuesday show, my Potsdamus will is broken. <laughs> it's 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 fine. It's okay. You know what? Maybe maybe things will change with with a new um, you know with a new outlook on on the football team. We'll say so. We'll see how Potsdamus works. But Kyle, you you coined Potsdamus on this mm. podcast. So, what are your predictions? Okay, we we won't keep score. That's fair. I think um, you know I, I like a little something to play for, but that's fine. I'll see if I can still give the goods that I've been given all year, Stone Cold Locks of the Week. Um, I think I legitimately think that this Texas offense is is going to have something to prove, and I think they're going to get it going. Whether that's through um, Sam having you know four hundred yards total between running and throwing, and really um, asserting himself. Uh, they they said this is uh, Herman said this is Sam's team. We're not going to see. Hudson Card and what he has for next year. We're not going to see Casey Thompson as, you know, the listed number two backup all season unless we just dominate. So if if that's the case, Sam, get us a UTEP game. Get those guys in there. Let them see some field. Um, but otherwise, this is Sam's team, and I think he has a chance to, to do something. But I also think, you know, receivers, running backs, players winning individual matchups, I think is going to play key for our offense, and, and I think it's going to be needed. And I also think this is a really good chance for K- Chris Ash to continue to write the narrative of one of the, you know, one of the better hires of the season i think his defense has played ben don't break as well as anyone in the in in the country this year and i think chris ash can can get that defense even without you know captain uh caden stearns back there to to really hold this kansas state offense in check and they could be pitching i'm not going to say a shutout but i could see this being keeping them under two two touchdowns being under under 14 points i legitimately see uh that type of performance potentially for the defense this week so i'm not putting those in stone but i I think that you 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 could see both of those things happen yeah i think we're finally going to get that that like multi turnover game that we've been calling Hmm. for for a couple of weeks i think like if i had to make if we were making like like, actual pots or damas predictions i think we have a multi turnover game probably multiple interceptions i think is going to be likely i'm assuming that the texas front the texas defensive line is i absolutely think is going to run through kansas state's defensive offensive line yeah like tissue paper and force will howard to make dumb plays and make freshman plays and do what freshmen do which is turn the ball over and so i think likely you may see Deshaun Jamison return one of those for score. Like Ooh. those, those are things that, and again, we're not doing Potsdamus. You've already, I'm mathematically eliminated from it. I'm opting out <laughs> of the season for Potsdamus. So we'll, we'll pick it back up next year. I'm not going pro, uh, but we will. Um, I think that's probably a thing that we'll see. I also think we'll probably end up seeing, um, I, I, I think this is going to be an opportunity to force the ball to another receiver. And so I think Sam is going to look elsewhere. I think you may see, you know, Jake Smith, Jordan Whittington, um, one of those guys with with multiple receptions, I think probably have a pretty decently sized game. But Texas will take on Kansas State 11 a.m. early kickoff Saturday with not much on the line except pride, and we'll see how much they have in the burnt orange.
All right, Jared, let's take a quick uh, look at the next level Longhorns. And this is a, this is an appropriate week that we do this on Thursday because there was an NFL game uh, today, Wednesday, when we were recording this, which is wild. Sunday night football coming to you live on Wednesday. Um, thanks, COVID. Everything's weird in 2020. But we had uh, we had some good performances, specifically from defenders, I think, um, in the NFL this week. Three interceptions accounted for. Uh, and I'll explain why I use that terminology accounted for as we go through here. Um, but we'll start it where we start every week with the Ravens. Unfortunately, their Sunday night football played on Wednesday, which, you know, should just be disqualified. Also, this game shouldn't count because, you know, RG3 was their quarterback for most of it. But uh, the, the Ravens took an L uh, to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, team MVP Justin Tucker didn't even get a chance to try a field goal, so you know it's a bad game. Only two for two from the extra point. Devin Duvernay, three catches for 20 yards. He did have two returns for 44, but I hate seeing Devin have more return yards than receiving yards. I want that equation flipped. Um, Deshaun Elliott had a solid day uh, with that defense, seven tackles. Um, it, it was a tough game for the Ravens again RG3 had a QBR of 28.9 through a pick six and a five point loss uh, so a guy I actively enjoy rooting against Robert Griffin the third not just because he went to Baylor and won a Heisman but also because he's not the best human being has been documented Google it um, but uh, so he did not do good hopefully the Ravens will stick with Trace McSorley if uh, if Lamar Jackson isn't up but the the, the feel good story when you look at quarterbacks who were great in college and should have in one case did win a Heisman. Colt McCoy is now an NFL starting quarterback, and not just any NFL starting quarterback, Gerald. In the obvious NFC East quarterbacking duel that we all predicted of Jalen Hurts versus Alex Smith versus Andy Dalton versus Colt McCoy, take a moment to pause and let that sink in. Uh, Colt McCoy is is uh, top of the top of the pops there, leading the, the NFC East uh, division-leading Giants, which I think someone's going to win that division with five wins, and that's hilarious. But um, Colt played his sixth game since 2014 with their starting quarterback, Daniel Jones, going down. He came in, uh, was the perfect uh, consummate pro, six for 10. Uh, his first pass was negative nine, but that's not on him. Still finished with 31 yards at seven rushing uh, and basically just held the line to get them the victory. Um, he's in line to start this week against Seattle, which we'll talk about Seattle. That defense looks nasty. I, I don't feel great for Colt, but I also feel like Colt, is a gamer, and I, I I'm half expecting him to come out and and do something stupid against the Seahawks team and lead the Giants to a ridiculous win because he's cold. The uh, the Tennessee Titans uh, also got a W. Kenny Vaccaro seven tackles on to form and four carries for 28 yards. Jeff Swaim three catches for 30 yards, getting a little involved. We thought there was a rule they could only play two out of the three, but you know it's COVID. Everything's crazy. Uh, Colts took an L mainly because on 26 snaps, uh, Marcus Johnson got zero targets. So Colts, you know what you have to do: throw Marcus Johnson the ball. And then Gerald the Dolphins got a W. Brandon Jones had two tackles and a sack. Uh, love to see that. What'd you think of the Dolphins this week? They're doing enough to win, and that's all that that it takes at this point. They're they're very clearly ahead of schedule, and I'm okay with that. If they're ahead of schedule and have the quarterback of the future and a lot of draft capital, I was very very upset when they got rid of all of that, all of those players. But they've got some uh, some picks to work with this year, and I'm excited for it. Thanks, Houston, for being terrible. <laughs> Someone who lives in Houston and his wife is a Houston Texans fan. Oh, that one hurts. That one, that one hurts. We're not allowed to say the name DeAndre Hopkins in this house. But anyways, uh, I just want to say, Gerald, can you clarify for the listeners at home on which Todd Orlando scheme uh, drew up the Brandon Jones sack? 
It was actually a delayed safety blitz, which <laughs> didn't think that Todd Orlando defenders could get there on time on those plays. <laughs> Only happens at the next level. Like all safeties, apparently, and a lot of Longhorn defenders in general, they play better at the next level. Now, Malik Jefferson and the Chargers could not get the W. He had his, his kind of, uh, at this point, standard box score one tackle. Um, eh, Chargers, they don't look great, Gerald. They're not, they're not any good. Kind of the case in point of how bad that team is is like Justin Herbert was running a quarterback sneak and the entire offensive line dropped back into pass pro. <laughs> so he absolutely just got ate up. It's so emblematic of how terrible that team is. As, as, as a person who watches a little offensive line, I hear you say that, but I know Gerald watches and sees the offensive line, and I share that just eats your, your soul to see a play like that. But, hey, who sees that coming? Maybe that's just a great scheme, you know? You, have, yeah. <laughs> you drop in pass pro and put your uh, your quarterback, who you gave millions of dollars to, at, at uh, in jeopardy. But, anyway, Saints were able to get a, a victory, and we're talking about bad quarterbacks, man. Gerald, is have you seen anything crazier than COVID forcing all four of the Denver Broncos depth chart roster listed quarterbacks out and wide receiver Kendall Hinton being forced into duty at quarterback due to COVID contact tracing? Um, it, is this is this the craziest like COVID sports thing that we've seen? I feel like it, it's in the it's in the short list. And I think it was the same event that all three quarterbacks were just like, we're not wearing masks, and like, well, none of you are playing. Yeah. Like they. I think they called you to play quarterback. Did they not? Uh, they did. Um, unfortunately, I'm playing it safe, and I'm not getting on planes right now, or I would have, uh, you know, would have flown out and, and done it for them. Um, the great long history of John Elway, Tim Tebow, and the underhanded throw, um, Kyle Carpenter. You know, it, it, it was it was ready to be written a, a legacy, but uh, alas, uh, didn't make it. But Malcolm Brown did make it. Had three tackles. Roach was inactive, and Calvin Anderson uh, has fallen back with a healthy offensive line to the backup on the depth chart. So moving on, the Thursday game. Woof, Dallas Cowboys just. Playing for draft picks on Thanksgiving. My, I don't know if everyone, listeners know this. My mom is a Cowboys fan. I grew up a Cowboys fan. My dad is a Redskins fan. I grew up trying to be brainwashed to be a Redskins fan. So this this game always has gloating, uh, gloating rights. And my dad is is uh, walking like like um, basically looks like Sherman Hensley walking around the house. I'm sure uh, the past week just uh, just strutting around after that one. But again, the Redskins are very very bad as well. Awful. Terrible. Yeah. It, it, they, the NFC East should lose its playoff berth for this year. Kind of agree with that one. Or, you know, whoever wins the college football playoff gets to go play in the uh, the the NFL playoff. Something like that. I don't know. The Vikings also took a dub. Or, excuse me, took an L. Uh, Hilton Hill still in the IR. Chris Board, uh, three tackles. But, but this was maybe the most Chris Boyd game of his NFL career. Watching Vikings fans react to it was kind of comical. Be like, oh, Chris Boyd had a good coverage. Oh, Chris Boyd just absolutely got burnt and let someone go for a touchdown. Oh, he made a nice tackle. Oh, he missed a, you know, this. It was just a very uneven Chris Boyd tax type of game. Um, the next one, though, is my pick, I think, this week for the for the Longhorn of the Week, just because I'm excited to see it for him. Four catches, team high, 96 yards, and a touchdown. Big, long touchdown for Colin Johnson. You love to see it. Second touchdown of the season. Uh, I think, like, if, you know, two touchdowns but four quarterbacks on the year. Poor guy. Um, but Mike Glennon, of all people, uh, found him for nearly 100 yards. Love to see it for Big Kojo. What do you think, Joe? I guess they drew up the play that Texas could never find for him. 
I don't know what it was. Um, but even if you like, so a lot, his average was floated by, by that 46 yard touchdown, but like, he still would have had the team high if you took that away. So like, I think they're finally finding ways to hold him in the offense. And I'm excited to see him, uh, him succeed. A lot of guys who, who, who know about deep fantasy stuff have been saying in keeper leagues, Colin Johnson's a sleeper because the talent's there, the, the fit's there. You just got to you gotta figure it out. So, again, free fantasy football advice that you probably don't want to take if you're in a keeper league. Of course, keep Colin Johnson. The guy's got a future. Uh, Bengals took an L. Trey Hopkins at center there. Of course, no Joe Burrow uh, behind him. So, new quarterback. Uh, the New England Patriots, however, got a W, and that was – in large thanks to uh, our dude, our boy, Adrian Phillips. We're so excited for him. Five tackles, one pass breakup, and the big one had one interception of little Kyler Murray, which just watching Kyler Murray lose is so fun. It's a thing that I could do the rest of my life. Um, and, and I just was absolutely blown away at the effusive over the top. It almost felt, you know, gross. Keep it in the bedroom, guys. Uh, Bill Belichick praise for Phillips after the game. I mean, just Belichick just gushing. He said... A good addition for us. Very instinctive. Has a number of roles in our system. He's a good football player. Great guy to work with. Defense and special teams. Which, again, just blown away at that praise from Bill Belichick. Easy, Bill. Keep it in uh, the pants there. But So let's let's, uh, keep it moving. Houston Texans. Charles Amenehu, two tackles, two QB hits. He leads the Texans with 11 quarterback hits. He's so close. Just needs to get one more step there uh, and get some sacks. Um, A lot of national writers have actually been saying, you know, the efficiency of only playing 41% of the Texans snaps and still leading that team in hits shows you the type of talent that a man who has, we knew it uh, of course, but and uh, how he was a sleeper and a steal in the draft for the Texans and only up from here with his career. Um, did have that acting we talked about, but we'll keep it going. Kyle Shanahan lost, or excuse me, one still has a losing record, five uh, and six. I think he won't be the next Texas head coach. Uh, Malcolm Brown, three carries for four yards, two catches for 15 yards. Come on, Malcolm, we want a little more. If you get more, feed the man the ball. Maybe the Rams wouldn't have lost. Cardinals, like we said, Kyler Murray uh, lost, but Jordan Hicks was good. Seven tackles, had a pass breakup slash almost sack where he got through the line. Cam Newton was rearing back and he just basically, instead of going for the sack or going for something, just, just punched the ball uh, from Newton's hand, uh, tackled the arm basically, which caused it to soar and someone else uh, came up with the, the interception there. So that's why we said three interceptions accounted for. And the final of those three interceptions was Quandre Diggs. Um, Seahawks got a W Diggs at three tackles and a pass breakup to go with that. My favorite part was of the Battle of the Bird mascots. He intercepted it in the Eagles' end zone, so immediately went and stood on the Eagles' logo and did the Eagles' fly uh, logo. The pettiness was uh, every bit what you'd hope from Quandre the Giant. It was a master class. Puna Ford also looks continues to look amazing. Four tackles, one sack, one tackle for loss, team high, three quarterback hits. Again, people are starting to talk Pro Bowl season from Puna Ford. Biggest steal of the past few years in the draft about Puna Ford. People are starting to see what this podcast and and most Longhorn fans have seen for years. Gerald, how you feeling about your boy? I'm not going to say that that I told you so, <laughs> but a certain member of this podcast team um, said that an NFL GM was going to look real smart for drafting this guy in the late rounds, and you look even well, smarter when you get him for an undrafted free agent contract for a couple of years. So, like, yeah. you know what? I think I'm pretty good with with uh, that prediction on on this podcast. 
Yeah, we need to pay the man. Uh, if you're smart, Seahawks, if you don't do it, someone else would. Puna's going to get paid. He's going to get uh, at least second-round draft pick money uh, on this second contract. He needs to, he needs to get paid because he is playing uh, his tail off. Also, obviously, Longhorn legend Michael Dixon, three punts, average 52, just did what he does. Um, so, Gerald, let's wrap it up. Let's get to the part the folks want to want to hear about here. What we're watching, Gerald, on our giant screens throughout the week in homage to the South End Zone Godzilla Tron. Gerald, what are you watching? Um, so we, uh, finally got around to watching the Fresh Prince reunion this last weekend. Um, that was weirdly emotional for me. I didn't realize how big of an impact that show had on my life growing up. And I think as a, um, as a, as a, a black man with lighter skin, I'm, I'm, I'm mixed. So I, I'm classified light skinned, right? Um, See, like it was the first time where you saw kind of different shades represented on screen, and so that was that was very impactful for me. Um, you know, James Avery passing away, who played Uncle Phil, was was a big thing, and they did this reconciliation with. If you don't know what happened with like the old Aunt Viv, like she got pregnant and she was in an abusive relationship, and she kind of got weird on the show and basically Will Smith got her fired as a young kid. And so there's this bad blood and they kind of had a reconciliation. It was really cool. It was fun. Like I laughed, I cried from laughing. I like got a little choked up when like they talked about James Avery and those types of things. Um, Mandalorian is really, really good. Continuing to plow through that. I'm excited for the direction on Disney plus. And then, um, you know, I was kind of in a, in a, in a, like I need something that I can watch that I'll just kind of drone on in the background. And I turn on the Hobbit movies that are on HBO max and I forgot how bloated and terrible those movies were. <laughs> um, you know, you, you get a three hour movie for return of the King. That's like 400 ish pages, which makes sense for a 400 page book. And then they make three, three hour movies for a 300 page book. <laughs> like there's just so much crap that they added to it. They're awful. Whatever, it's terrible. When you got the moneymaker, I don't blame people for, for going to that well, but uh, there's a reason I haven't watched any of the Hobbit, maybe the first one of the Hobbit movies, but uh, I did watch the Fresh Prince reunion as well, and it was emotional. I, I forgot how much I remembered every scene in that show. Like, it was so impactful to me. I must have been the perfect age. I forgot it only ran for six years. I feel like it was on for 15 years. I've just seen probably every episode once at least if not twice or three times um and, and you know the funny moments the gags are just great remembered it all and then all the emotional stuff right and you and i love it right we love scrubs we love ted lasso we we, we love fresh prince i forgot somewhat of the amount i remember obviously the finale and the you know the um stuff between will and james avery talking about when his dad doesn't want him and um Gosh, some of the most powerful. Like I cry, I get teared up, you know, up every single time I see those scenes. No matter how many times I've seen that show, but just it does really good with the emotional stuff. What a what an incredible groundbreaking show! It's always have a place in the rotation. Now a new show that I added um, was Broadchurch. I talked about it, I believe, on the last show that I had started it. I finished it. Um, just goes to show BBP, BBC can pack punch in a cop show. There's nothing like otherworldly about what they did it's a beautiful show it's set on like a approximation of the cliffs of dover looking um kind of english sea town um it's a it's a murder whodunit it's got a lot of turns and twists um very english in ways but it's also um keeps you on your toes it has you know um mr doctor who uh is is the lead and it's just a good well acted well written nice 
show. You know, they do. Obviously, Luther's one of my favorite shows of all time. Um, they do the the crime drama on on British television and BBC specifically as good as anyone. Right? It, they may be the best at it, but it's just it's a great little. A couple of people had had uh, recommended it to me, and I finally got to it. Um, and it was it was just classic. I liked each season as it built. It's only three seasons, so it's a pretty easy watch. But each season is as much. Um, is the last is the one before and i thought it was a great show um also uh actually finished just recently hbo's new show industry so it's 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 a lena dunham project so there is a lot of uh, game of thrones style sex position a lot of the plot is 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 done there so probably not one you you bring the kids again anywhere near it's also maybe the most drugs per capita show i've ever seen like it really feels like even when they're on the trading it's about sorry i should say investment bankers and when they're on the trading room floor you just see them like hankering like it's been three whole screen minutes since i did drugs maybe i should go to the bathroom and do drugs just i know investment bankers do a lot of drugs i have friends in investment banking i, I hope everyone is healthy because that if, if you're doing that much drugs uh gosh that's tough um but it's basically just a show of sex and drugs without the rock and roll it's not bad it's it's interesting actually i will say as a as a um male who who uh, very strongly advocates for women. I think that it, it was an empowerment to female perspective on sex, which is a nice change, at least if you're going to do it. That's that's the way to do it without being just flat out gratuitous. But I would say if you want to see what the kids are watching and something that's very modern, people called it a modern take on Mad Men, and that's an insult to Mad Men, but it's very modern, very, um, I guess if you, you want to know some eye banking jargon, it's it's interesting it is a, it is a watch i wouldn't put it at the top of your list i wouldn't invest too too much time into it but um they'll probably get a second season and who knows maybe it'll get better but i just thought no characters were really likable and maybe that's the point um so it wasn't you know a, a show that drew me in we kind of just finished it to get it over with and and not have to go back to it. but uh so there you are i i loved broad church and industry's fine i need to watch broad church i'm probably gonna, not gonna watch industry but that's all we've got for you this week kyle where can good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can also follow the Texas Pre-Gamer at Texas Pre-Gamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at G.H. Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. You can check us out on Facebook Live following this Saturday's game for our post-game live stream. We'd love to have you as a part of it. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. We'll see you on Saturday and then again on Tuesday. And until then, hook them. Hook them. Texas is a basketball school. 